Are your clients asking about the employee retention credit, R&D tax credits, cost segregation, energy credits or deductions, or the work opportunity credit? Do you lack answers or expertise in your firm to serve these specialty tax incentives? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, TriMerit, later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. This is Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast where we talk about people who cheat and lie instead of people who beat you till you die. I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. So, Caleb, uh, quick question. Have you ever yes. been disappointed by someone you admire? And it could be anyone that you admire, like a relative, a celebrity, a boss, a coworker, an Instagram influencer, me, a behavioral <laughs> economist. Who have you been disappointed with? Okay, so I'm going to give you a very annoying answer uh, before I give you an actual answer. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. Start, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I would expect no less. Okay, great. <laughs> um, uh, my annoying answer is that I, I don't really put people on pedestals, so I, hmm. so I don't really admire them. I, I think I try to admire like what they do versus admiring the person, right? So I admire mm-hmm. their work. But I probably somewhere in the back of my head, something tells me they're really fucked up somehow. Like, you know, they're a narcissist <laughs> or they're or they're abusive yeah. or they're just a jerk or, or, or greedy or whatever. And that doesn't necessarily mean I don't like them. I probably in some cases, I probably would like them, but I just know that they're human and like humans are messy. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I, I think about it. And I don't really I don't really have a good explanation for why I am like that. Like. You know, maybe it's because, you know, happened, maybe my attitude changed like after my parents got divorced and I learned it's like, oh, they're human beings, not just my parents, like one of those kind of things. But also, you know, just over the course of my life, I feel like I've just read about and watched uh, a lot of different prominent and admired people just fall from grace and the most catastrophic ways. And I, and I guess (laughs) I'm just like, you just have to kind of separate like, their achievements from humanity, right? So like, wow, very impressive thing you did there, human being with a multitude of flaws. That's kind of how, that's kind of how I have to think about it. You know, like if you think about- Right, so 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 kind of the the Caleb Newquist trademark jaded view of the world is really what you're talking about. Yeah, I can't enjoy anything, I guess, or I can't enjoy anyone. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like Lance, like Lance Armstrong. Like I'm sure someone out there is thinking Lance Armstrong. And I'm just like, fuck that guy. I never liked him. And like when he turned out to be a cheater, I was just like, yeah, of course. Or or like, like Bill Cosby, like something like that. You know, you're just like, yeah, you're you're just like, holy shit. Like that's the kind of stuff where you're just like, man, people. Right. Good, good point. Uh, For some, for some reason, Bill Cosby, is one of the things where it's like, oh yes, everyone, regardless of the, pe- everyone might be a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, to, I'll be a good sport. I want to be a good sport. So I, I will tell you, like for me, I think, like when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were both implicated in the steroids uh, scandal for Major League Baseball. You remember this? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I do remember that, that. Yeah, that was that to me was pretty disappointing. I loved baseball as a young person, and I remember the season where they were both chasing uh, chasing Roger Maris's home run record, and it was just I mean it was it was such a thrilling baseball season to watch them do that, and like they both broke the record, you know, and all the steroids. Uh-huh. It, just, it fucking ruined it. It just ruined it. Yeah, you know, after that, right. and it was just like I just never looked at those guys the same way ever again. And, it, and like yeah. I don't know if that's when I basically quit liking baseball too but i mean it probably probably had some kind of a impact but right that's what i that's my official answer i thought you were about to say that's when i started realizing that everyone's got flaws and i was like going oh so it wasn't your parents divorce it was major league baseball (laughs) it was it was a couple of a couple of roided out guys hitting some dingers that ruined the world for you <laughs> not your own personal I mean, tragedy i mean i i mean even even the, the parents thing probably plays is probably a factor yes oh, oh i'm sure i'm sure yeah. i mean that that rings that rings true i think for a lot of people where for it's sure like, oh yeah because mom don't you and dad think are gods people, until they're not yeah. right and most people i think most people who have an uh, like a shred of self-awareness at some point they realize that their parents are like human beings that yeah, are yeah. just like, oh. are just muddling along through life the best <laughs> right. they can. Right. Like you, the rest of us. And usually that's when you become a parent yourself. You're like, yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. This is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. in my case, it's, so, but in my case, it was like when my parents, you know, separated, I was just like, well, shit. Okay. You know, yeah, and then nothing's stable, yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, but also yeah. just like cool. that people are human and they and you know they they change over time yeah. and they move and they right and they change and they move on and whatever, so, right, what about but, you, and, Greg, and I, what about you uh, uh, well, me, it wasn't my parents, I was disappointed by a behavioral economist, oh my God, Caleb, what your how did you come up with a nerdier answer than me it's i know it it was funny because i was busting your balls uh before the show about how nerdy you came off with your answer and then i realized right after that i say i was disappointed by a behavioral economist yeah i i i win the nerd prize um but yeah his name his name's dan arielli uh i've given what we've we've given countless ethics webinars that yes. have relied heavily on his research. I yep. don't, and and like legit, I do not plagiarize his work, right. but I cite him so often it feels like I plagiarize his work. There were times, um, there were times when we were pre- presenting the material, and I'm just like, are we giving him enough credit? I don't know if we can give him enough attribution right. credit for the right. stuff that we're, that we're yeah. you know, passing off as ethics CPE. <laughs> Yeah, if it was if the webinar was titled uh, "Greg and Caleb present Dan Ariely's original research," that might have been the the proper right. credit. There was one time it wasn't a webinar you were on, but there was this one webinar where me I had two co presenters, so it was three of us total, and we actually turned it into a drinking game on oh that boy. webinar, where every time if any of one of us said the name Dan Ariely, me and my co-presenters had to take a shot. Well, me and one of the co-presenters had to take a shot. The third guy, he was Mormon, so he had oh. to take a sip of his juice box. But oh. it was, that's the, that's as hard as we so could get. So how, how did that him. go? Like, were, were you under the table in like five minutes? Like what happened? 
No, we we pretty uh, we pretty quickly realized that we could get around it by just not saying his actual name. Go. Oh. So the behaviorally economist that we keep talking about, but it was. Uh, I mean, we were we were pretty loose. That's for sure. In nice that, in that episode. Nice. But, but now, uh, also, the birthplace of of my other podcast, that my limited series podcast, Drunk Ethics, was the idea for that was born that day. Right. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Now remind me. Um, I know. You met Dan Ariely once. Is that right? <laughs> I I did. Uh, it, it, well, it was not like meeting him. It what I didn't meet him face to face, but it was better than like a virtual. A meeting we I, I on the on my previous podcast that I was on mm-hmm. uh, we got to interview him because the guy that I did I was a co-host with he just I think he just asked a lot of people if they'd come on and it was surprising how many said yes so Dan Ariely was coming on our podcast I was super excited and like a true fanboy I was hoping that I would be so funny and so insightful during the podcast that he was a guest on that he would be like, we must do a project together. Right. Greg, you know, it's it's like if I can just meet Britney Spears, she'll know that I should be one of her dancers. It was it was kind of like that. Like in hindsight, I realized that's where I was going with the whole thing. And and so did he ask you to work together? (laughs) No. By absolutely. Absolutely. No, listen, it was so bad because during that podcast, not only did he not find me funnier or insightful, I'm pretty sure he thought that I was a dick because, because you're a dick. No, he never said, he never was like, Hey, shut up. You dick. Uh, (laughs) it wasn't that. And I can't. and, And the funny thing is it's been long enough that I can't remember exactly what he did. I don't think he said anything. I think it was just kind of more like how he would respond to me overall but it was clear, overall yeah. dickish tone coming from him yeah 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 coming from that's that's what it felt like well well Mel, well he's a he's a uh, college professor and yeah. it very much felt like the teacher who was trying to put the uh the the kid who was disrupting the class in his place that's kind of <laughs> That's kind of how I felt where it was. Okay. He was kind of like going, Hey, I, I think I know, I, I, I know that you think you're funny, but how about you just shut the fuck up and let me talk about the book that I just published. <laughs> so that was, that was more of the vibe that was coming off of him. Uh, don't meet your heroes. Right. Yeah, right. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the thing. And, and so when we say, so the question was, have we ever been disappointed in some kind of celebrity or someone we looked up to? I definitely looked up for to him. And so I, so I was disappointed in him in, in that never meet your heroes kind of way. Right. Um, yeah. But then even more recently, I was disappointed in him all over again because like I said, the dude's done a bunch of research on ethics, and mm-hmm. I've relied heavily on that research in a lot of the stuff that I've done, a lot of the presentations I've given. And mm-hmm. recently, it was discovered that one of his main papers, that you know, like an academic paper that was published in the for the National Association of Sciences, I mean, big fucking deal paper. Uh, it was it was discovered that um that the that paper was built on false data and so Oof. the guy who's like the he's like 
he's like the ultimate in ethics research committed fraud in his ethics. He, he committed ethics fraud. Yeah. Um, like that's a weird, there, there's a lot there in that, in just that I, that the words ethics fraud. Yeah. Um, he, the dude lied or at least, and, and I guess let, let's be clear. He, he's at least been accused of lying about yeah. his research on how to prevent people from lying. That's yeah. what he did. And yeah, it, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but like the work that you're talking about that you based a lot of your ethics presentations on, you're not like the only person who relied on this work, like his, this particular paper that he yet, and he had several co-authors, but he was like, he's the guy who went out and wrote a book about it, like a best-selling book about it. But the paper itself yeah. in the academic world was extremely uh, sought out and cited like hundreds of times. Yeah. Right? Like, it, like the citation yes. numbers are, are, are pretty remarkable. And, and yeah. so you weren't the only person who, right. who, were, who found it to be compelling to the, to the, that found, that found the findings to be compelling. <laughs> Yes, right? I was one of a myriad of people who were d- extremely disappointed by someone we looked up to. <laughs> right. He disappointed a lot of us. Right. And and so with that, uh, today's episode is going to be a, a bit of a unique one for Oh My Fraud, because we are going to be looking not at fraud in financial statement, not at embezzlement. We're going to be looking at fraud in academia and we're going to specifically be looking at the ethics of ethics research. So, uh, Caleb, what w- do you remember? Yes. What was the f- what was your first exposure to Dan Ariely? Do you remember? I do. My first exposure to Dan Ariely was uh, basically the homework that you assigned to me for the first ethics fraud we ever did together, uh, oh. which was many, many moons ago now. And oh. so, yeah, that was that was my I, first. I thought, ex- I thought you knew about him before that. I don't think so. Like, I'd have to think about it, but I, I don't recall. Okay. Like, I didn't have, I, you know, I didn't have any of the books, you know, maybe. Okay. Maybe I'd come across it, but. Um, but you, you were like, when I, I remember asking you, it's like, Oh, how do you want me to prepare for this? Cause I was basically hosting and you were presenting the material and we were doing like a two F you were doing one of those two hour ethics marathons that we did at the end of the year. And, uh, anyway, so I, I read the stuff that you wanted me to read and I liked his writing style and I thought the experiments were interesting and the findings were obviously made, they made sense, but they're also, uh, you know, kind of eye opening. but it definitely mm-hmm. in terms of like me starting to like form some thoughts around behavioral ethics. Like it definitely shaped my early thoughts around it, but I am, I am by no means a fanboy like you, Greg. So what was, what's your, what's your Ariely origin story or whatever? So um, my first, my first exposure to Dan Ariely was uh, his very popular Ted talk on behavioral economics. You can still Mm -hmm. find it on YouTube. I believe that he presented that in 2008 is, is and it, it was, you know, there's Ted talks that are flops and there's Ted talks that kind of go viral. And his was one of the ones that kind of went viral. Um, it's interesting. You talking about how you liked his writing style. His, he's a great uh, speaker too. Very, mm-hmm. very engaging. He's got a, he's got, a, and I don't, I'm not prone to use 
the adjective impish, but I feel like that's a great way to like describe not just not just like his presentation style, but also like you were saying, the actual experiments that he does. Mm. It, like they're a little bit they're a little twisted. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, and and that's fun. It's fun to listen to to what he does that where he's kind of fucking with the people. Yeah, you know the the yeah his subjects for his experiments. Yeah, it was definitely I. It was very I would say very yeah very playful and just like interesting. Yeah, like it made it made it made like the the process of gathering data it made it seem like oh i could do that that sounds fun i want to do that it's like most of the time (laughs) that's not how it's done you know (laughs) so right so yeah right pretty pretty novel and kind of innovative i suppose this episode of oh my fraud is sponsored by trimerit it seems like every week a new questionable ERC mill pops up offering small businesses a way to get $26,000 from the government for each one of their employees. We've all seen Twitter ads, Facebook ads, ads in podcasts, ads on Instagram, ads on TV shows, and I even personally know a guy here in Utah who's been charged with fraud for false ERC claims totaling $11 million. These questionable ERC mills are coming hard after your clients. If they haven't reached them already, they will soon. And based on the stories I've been hearing from accountants, the IRS will be reaching out to them soon too. This is why when it comes to ERC, it's important to have the right people, the right process, and the right partner. Introducing TriMerit. TriMerit is a team of CPAs, engineers, and attorneys that function as an extension of your tax advisory team. They can help your clients with ERC, R&D tax credits, cost segregation, energy credits or deductions, and the work opportunity credit. And working with them is as easy as one, two, three. One, they offer a no-cost feasibility analysis. Two, they document all tax incentive studies to ensure that your clients meet all requirements. And three, they offer audit representation to ensure your clients aren't left hanging if audited by the IRS. To learn more about adding TriMerit to your team, head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash TriMerit. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash T-R-I-M-E-R-I-T. Yeah, ex- exactly. And then, so that was that was my that was my gateway to Dan Ariely. Mm-hmm. Then I read his book, Predictably Irrational. That's I, I'm gonna say that's his biggest book that he's done, and and I freaking loved it. Uh, I thought, I thought, and I still think that it's it's if not the best business book I've ever read, it's one of the best business books mm. that I've ever read. Uh, has great information on things like pricing and marketing and persuasion, but even like bigger picture, it feels like it's it's not this. This is this is a little grandiose, but it feels like it covers all of human behavior as it relates to business. Yeah, right. And like you said, a lot of his findings were very counterintuitive too, yep. where you would go, oh, I thought that was going to go this way, but it actually went that way. And then he'd explain his theories for why. And it was very, yeah, very eye-opening, like you said. But then uh, two of the chapters in Predictably Irrational were uh, th- that I found particularly engaging 
but they did also seem like they were a little bit out of place in a business book is yep. the two chapters that he had in that one about ethics. So the, so then funny story uh, yeah. when we had him on the podcast, me and my co-host, we were, I mean, obviously we were both very excited to have him on there. I think me more than my co-host and we, we had both read predictably irrational. We loved it. And that, and so we were excited to talk to him about that. We had all these questions about predictably irrational, yep. but he clearly came on the podcast because he had a new book that he just released <laughs> called "The Honest Truth About Dishonesty." So right. he did not want to really engage with us about predictably irrational. He kept he kept uh, he kept forcing the conversation from where we were trying to go back to his new book that he because uh. he you know and and. And of course, I'm, that media training I'm not going to slight off. him. Is that what it is? Is it yeah, the, of the course. media training yeah, that was coming through? Media, yeah, it's media training, probably. Well, one way or another, the guy knew he had to he had to push some books, and yeah. and he would and, and and to his credit, he was very successful at doing that because I purchased a copy <laughs> of the Honest Truth About Dishonesty. Sold. In fact, if if right, if my numbers are right, I purchased. Uh, the physical book, the ebook, and the audio book, and I think I've I'm I'm almost positive I've actually purchased not one but two copies of the physical book because I keep loaning it out and not getting it back uh, from people that I loan it to. Do you have a that, Do you have a that's, copy? That's weird. Do you have a copy of the Honest Truth about Dishonesty, Caleb? Uh, I think I can see it from here, actually. Yeah, I think that's my <laughs> copy of the Honest Truth about Dishonesty. You bastard! What I so, told the truth. I'm not being dishonest did. about it. <laughs> That's true. I guess it worked. I guess it worked. But oh, and the, and and funny, uh, funny story. Like right now, I because I used to, when we do webinars, I would like to use them as like props. So I'd be okay. like, so you know, and I'd lift up. I go, so in the book, the uh, you know, predictably irrational. I'd pick that one up and show it to the camera. And same with the honest truth about dishonesty. Yeah. But now, like, I can't find either of them anywhere in my home. So, uh, like, and I looked for them in preparation for this podcast. Oh, come uh, on! And they're they're missing, and so I put them on my Christmas list for uh, this Christmas, and uh, and it. But it, but it's nice uh, because first off, you know, putting a book about ethical behavior on your Christmas list is kind of like if I have been ethical. If the book really sunk in and I have been ethical, then I think that means Santa will bring them to me. Yes, which right. is. A bonus. It's like he's like help. It. He he taught me how to get what I want from Santa. So right. that's a that's a bonus. But also the fact that I've made multiple purchases of his books helps me feel a lot less guilty about my not plagiarism but near plagiarism of right. his work. Yeah. So. The cool thing about Dan Ariel's research into ethics is that it's all about discovering like the conditions and the circumstances that, that he's found that encourage ethical behavior. Like, for instance, a couple of the ones that that I love the most or that that I've or maybe that I've leveraged the most in my uh, webinars and, and uh, blog posts and podcasts and things like that. Uh, one of them is how social identification impacts ethical behavior whoa so, so wait, whoa whoa what is social identification greg uh that is well well i think the best way to show is from one of his experiments so 
So I guess quickly, the way that he would gauge, the way that he would test people's ethical behavior is that he would give them a, a quiz that was like a math quiz and mm -hmm. the math wasn't hard, but it was very time consuming. Kind of like, uh, it's like mining for Bitcoin, but it's, uh, but humans have to do it. It's like that, but it was a timed <laughs> test. And okay. then he would pay you for the, he'd pay you some, some, a certain amount of money for every correct answer that you got. And he, and he knew that he was definitely not giving people enough time to answer all the questions. Right. But he also would, and this is how, so he, he had some control groups to figure out just for a large sample of people, what the average score would be for this math test, this time math test. And then he repeated the experiment, but in the repeated experiment, he allowed people to not only grade their own paper, but then shred their quiz and all like any evidence that they had of of what their actual results were. And then they'd just go to the proctor and say, Oh, I, I got this many right. And then they'd get paid. So so he, he he got the average he got the average score from the control group and then did it where people could where cheating was possible. And he saw that like the average score in the normal condition, in the control condi condition was like seven out of 20, right? In the time he gave him. And then when he allowed cheating, that's the, the, it went up from seven out of 20 to 12 out of 20. And there's a lot to unpack there that we don't have time for. But one of the, but then he kept tweaking with that even. Mm -hmm. And this was a very fun experiment that he did where he had, he, he hired an actor to go in to be part of the cohort that was taking this um this quiz and the actor had this one job where he was like after like 30 seconds or 60 seconds or something like that the actor was just supposed to very publicly stand up and go hey i'm done and i got them all right what do i do now and the frog was like well go over here and you get paid and then you go home and so he'd go and get paid and and everybody and you think about that if you if you had like 20 minutes for this test and on average people are getting seven of these right yeah. Then this guy's saying he got all of them right in less time than one than most people have even solved one of them. Yep. You see what I'm saying? Yep, yep. And and so so when that happens, so I guess Kayla, you you probably remember this. Do you remember what happened to the to cheating when that when when they saw this person act that way? This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by LiveFlow. Did you hear the news? LiveFlow just launched a new consolidation product. LiveFlow power user Beth Melcher of MoneyFit said that LiveFlow's consolidation is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week and eliminates the use of formulas. LiveFlow's automated multi-entity consolidation is simple to use. You can easily map multiple unmatching charts of accounts from multiple QuickBooks online companies into one standardized report. And once it's set up, LiveFlow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time, so you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data across entities. LiveFlow can even consolidate financials that are in different currencies, and the possibilities don't stop there. LiveFlow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs, build executive presentations, cash flow forecasts, and more with just a few clicks. Stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get 25% off your first three months, be one of the first 10 listeners to head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash liveflow. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. 
I think it went up. It went up, right? The the occurrences of cheating. Went, yes, they increased. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When okay. it went from twelve to fifteen is what it did. When because and the idea there was and this is where the social identification happens is that they said, okay, we're even though it's this ad hoc group of people who are all getting this, you know, taking this quiz, they're like going, oh, okay, so we assumed everybody would be cheating. And I just saw this guy cheat. So I guess it's okay to cheat. So I'm going to cheat. I'm not going to cheat as much as that guy did, but I'm still going to cheat some. So I'm going to cheat just to 75%, not 100% because I'm not. I'm not a bad guy. Yeah, I'm not like a monster. Him. I'm just going to cheat a yeah. little. It must be expected for us to right. do this because the proctor didn't, you know. So so it's kind of this, this ad hoc association with this group where it's like, oh, so in this mm. group, here's how we behave. The funny tweak that he did on that then is because I think it, uh, in the TED Talk, because he did a TED Talk about this, this uh, basically the same information that was in the honest truth about dishonesty book in that Ted talk. He said that he did the same experiment at Cornell at the Cornell campus that's in Pittsburgh. And he had the actor wear a sweatshirt from the university of Pittsburgh from Pitt. And so when the actor stood up, he was wearing this very loud, obvious uh, sweatshirt. That's like, I'm not from this campus. And yep. he did the exact same thing. And when he did that, he found that cheating went down because again, it was this social identification where it was like, we're all, we're all Cornell students. And this fucking guy from Pitt just comes because they're all dicks. And, and he was like, and I'm not, we're not dicks here at Cornell. We're like, we're cool. So fuck that guy and fuck cheating. I'm going to give him my right, my right answer. And that's, so, so he showed how social identification impacts oh, ethical behavior very clearly with those very experiments. Interesting. For what it's yeah, worth, I I love it. Cornell is not in yeah. Pittsburgh, but oh, it's not. No, but it's oh. not. I. S- but but the California? effect is the same. The effect is the same. Yeah. Okay. I swear he said Cornell. It might I'll be Cornell. To, Cornell. The, Cornell is probably not. Cornell is. I think in it's it's somewhere in New York. And so it's probably not actually far from okay. Pittsburgh. It's probably not far from Pittsburgh. Okay. Maybe that's what it is. Matt, there you go. Maybe this is so, important. Um, Maybe I shouldn't be correcting you during the podcast, but I know someone <laughs> will try to correct us at some point. So right. I thought well, I would yeah, save you well, the embarrassment of some like nasty email, which I know Greg is sensitive about. So in any case. I'm so sensitive. So sen- Let's and, move. And we no, also, but Greg. We already- what? Well, I just want to say we've already demonstrated that our geography shit from our yeah, our geography's PO not good. Yeah, episode. we have a history yeah, of spotty so. geography. But anyway, yeah, so okay, so the self the social identification that makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Then the self image is the other thing, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. that what's the you've told I've heard you talk about this many times, but like, what's a real short description of how this the 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 self image bit worked? It was the sunglass. It was the sunglasses, right? The sunglasses. Well, no, this is. It, we can get there even faster than the sunglasses. So oh. when um, when the the cheating, so even well, we, we even got into it a little bit with the guy who had the pit sweatshirt on mm-hmm. with the Cornell students. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on the fact that they were Cornell students. Fine. Um, so so when well, even when the guy wasn't wearing the the sweatshirt from the opposite campus. He stood up and he said, I got a 20 out of 20 on this test. Give me my money. I'm out of here. That's basically what he yep. said. Yep. And then as a result of that, 
the the average score for cheating went from 12 to 15. It didn't go from 12 to 20. And when I give my ethics presentation live, I'll often be explaining these things. And even when I say the control group had an average score of seven, and then I said, what do you think happens when cheating's possible? People in the audience are always like, it went to 18, it went to 19, it went to oh, 20. And I go, right. it actually went to 12 yeah. is what it did. And then it's like, why... Why don't people go? Why don't they? Why doesn't everyone swing for the fences and go? Oh, I can cheat, and there's no, there's no uh, consequences for my cheating and stealing. Let me have. And it's because we want to have a self-image of ourselves being ethical people, which is why when the guy not wearing the pit sweatshirt, but when he just was seemed like he was like the same as everybody else, when he said, "I got twenty out of 20, the cheating only went to 15 because the idea is that you can still have a self-image that says, hey, I'm a good person. I'm an honest person because I know I could have cheated to 20, but I had the self-control to just stop at 15. That's that's how self-image impacts ethical behavior. So I think it's it's fascinating. It's brilliant. It's eye-opening. And uh, yeah, and it, it, it's and it's counterintuitive as well. Yep. So that's all the stuff that kind of like I was talking about. There was three specific tweaks. So we talked about the tweak where he had this actor come in. There was three other tweaks on his research that I, that I think are fantastic. So again, it's in the it's in the environment where cheating is possible. Um, before he gave him that math quiz that I talked about, for one, this was in one one set of experiments that he did. So before giving him the math quiz. He said, hey, we're going to do this thing where we, that you're really here for. But before we do that, I need everybody just, you have a piece of paper in front of you, just real quick, brainstorm as many of the Ten Commandments as you can think about. Yep. And he's like, he's like, no reason. No reason. Don't worry about it. Just brainstorm <laughs> yeah. the Ten Commandments. Just for and fun. And so they, so they bra- just, you know, because we do, you know, we do that. It's uh, yeah. Because this is because this is Cornell, which is a Christian university. I don't right. know if it is or not. Um, but uh, but anyway, so they so they brainstorm the Ten Commandments, and then they go and take the quiz, and, where cheating is possible again. And mm-hmm. what he found, do you do you remember what the what the result was from brainstorming the Ten Commandments? Yeah, as I recall, cheating went down. It, it was it not just went down. Ariely reports that it was eliminated. That the average oh. score, the average score went back down to the seven. Okay, not gotcha. just not just reduced. Oh, back, it, met, it met the con- yeah. Essentially, it it, it was yeah. the same as the control group. Exactly. Right. So then he has another. He has another uh, said uh, another group that he talks about where there was people who were self-professed atheists, and before taking the math quiz, he forced them to swear on a Bible that they wouldn't cheat. On the math test, that's kind which, of fun. Uh, which to it's hilarious. I mean, again, impish. That's what I'm. I, yeah, I, that that's where I think this guy's impish. And, and to me, again, counterintuitive. I go, okay, you're forcing atheists to swear on a Bible that they're not going to cheat, and you know, and just like the stereotypical, mm-hmm. you know, the stereotype we all have of atheists will be like, I'll show you making me swear on a stack oh, yeah. of Bibles that I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to take all your fucking money. And but what he found was the opposite: is that it eliminated it eliminated cheating again. Oh. Um, and then the third one, and this and this is this is arguably the best one out of them. And it this is this is a big deal too for the rest of this podcast. Is one of the other things that he did is before people took the the math quiz where they would get paid for the right answers, 
he had, and this was when he was at MIT, conducting the experiments at MIT, he had people sign a piece of paper that said, I understand that the following quiz falls under the umbrella of the MIT code of ethics. And then they had to sign their name. And then they went and they took the quiz and again, he found that signing a signing a, a statement of honest intent prior to taking the quiz also eliminated cheating. And what makes that so wonderful is that MIT does not have a code of ethics. He had <laughs> them sign right. a paper for for <laughs> saying that they were gonna. He lied to them about there being a code of ethics that they yep. were signing that helped them to not to lie. So. Again, Made I just up. go. This guy is this guy's a lo- this guy's a lot of fun. I, yeah, I want to hang out with this guy, and he doesn't want to hang out with me. He thinks that I'm a dick. Yeah. So, so going back to those atheists for a minute, I have to imagine that the atheists yeah. are like making me swear in a fucking Bible. I'll show you who's fucking ethical. Mm. Me, the right. atheist who doesn't believe go. in anything. I can just right. I can just hear the fucking gears that's turning a, in their heads. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, it could. Yeah. I guess that's that's and that's obviously the way it probably went. And yeah. and the funny thing is is where what that really was in his explanation for that is that when when you require someone to reflect on a moral code before they have the opportunity to lie or cheat. The question that that's being asked of them is, "Am I?" It's it, it, it subconsciously or consciously. It's like, "Oh, yeah." There's there's good there's ethics out there, and am I an ethical person? And you want to go, "Yeah, I think of myself as an ethical person." And then you do something where you your ethics could be uh, you could fall short of your own standards, um, but you don't. Because you were just reminded, oh, I want to not to yes. do that. Right. Did that make sense at all? Yeah. In a very non succinct way. It Which made is fine. <laughs> Which is fine. Sense. Right. Okay. Exactly. So the longer we mentioned... take, the more the more CPE people can earn. <laughs> right. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by the South Carolina Association of CPAs, also known as SCA CPA. Hey, Caleb, you know I love diving into a juicy fraud case with you, right? But check this out. There's a place where accountants get together and talk shop and share knowledge about everything accounting related, including stories about untamed financials. Oh, tell me more, Greg. At every single one of my state CPA society events, there's a mountain of practical insights and experience. You get to meet other accountants, share knowledge, and even hear some firsthand accounts of financial intrigue. And here's the kicker, Caleb. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better place for networking. I joined my state society as an undergrad during the depths of the Great Recession, and before I graduated, I had multiple job offers, all from firms that I connected with through my state society. Hey, that all sounds pretty good, Greg, but what else does a state CPA society bring to the table? Uh, They bring lifelong professional friendships, networking that'll turbocharge your career, and leadership opportunities. And on top of all that, your state CPA society is an unwavering advocate for you and for the profession. State CPA associations keep their fingers on the pulse of the constantly shifting business, regulatory, and legislative landscapes to keep you on the cutting edge and to protect the CPA profession. And as you know, protecting the profession means securing your livelihood. And hey, wherever you're tuning into the podcast from, be it the Palmetto State or some other state with a lamer nickname, 
there's a CPA association in your corner ready to ignite your accounting journey. If you're ready to find out why CPA Association membership is for you, head on over to ohmyfraud.promo slash SCACPA. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash SCACPA. Okay, so you mentioned so the MIT so the MIT signing the code of contact, the the non existent code of contact, by the way. That that is yeah. that's important for the rest of this podcast. So uh, let's right. go go on. Tell me what that's about, okay. Greg. So that experiment was kind of a that that was sort of a layman's version of an experiment that Ariely and several co-authors uh, conducted. Uh, and and that they use the data from that to publish the the very widely received, very influential, and not to mention a peer-reviewed study mm-hmm. that we were talking about before that was based on this this fake data. Um, the the study was published in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, like I said before. It was published in 2012, and that. So that so the MIT experiment was very similar to the experiment that Ariely got busted for. Um, and so what that study, the 2012 study, what it reported or what it was looking at is it was it was the, the hypothesis was that dishonesty can be reduced by asking people to sign a statement of honest intent before providing information. And, and the, the whole thing was like, we want to make sure we want to see the difference in people's honesty if they have to sign the statement of honest intent before providing information versus signing the statement of honest intent after providing the information. Yep. And the way, the way that they did this is that Ariely specifically, he was in charge of this portion of the paper. He teamed up with an insurance company because... I, my insurance company has never made me do this, but I know that one of the things they want to know typically is how many miles you're driving on your car in any given year. Have you, have yep. you, been, has that, is that something your insurance company requires of you, Caleb? Yes. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Sounds familiar. Mine does not. I mean, I they can't remember. care. Mine I doesn't. can't remember the last time. Well, I remember there's questions about, yeah, just like questions like, do you commute to work? But then, yeah, overall, like how okay. many miles do you drive in a year? Because they yeah. figure, they figure the more you drive, the more you have a greater chance of being in an accident, right? So that makes you a higher risk. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. the the uh, what are they the um, what are those guys called that do all the well, like, data like, stuff? Well, are, like the an actuaries. actuaries. The actuaries, actuaries love that yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, yeah, because there's all these variables and they plug it into a formula and say, like, ah, that's what your premium is, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Precisely. So. What they have, so these, so some, so there's certain insurance companies who ask their their, their policyholders on an annual basis how many mm-hmm. miles that they've driven on that specific car in the previous year. Yep. So before they were engaged to participate with Ariely in the study, they already had baseline and they they had the people's responses from the prior year. And then for the current year, they're saying to, to half of them, they say, okay, before you do this, we just want you to sign the statement of honest intent before you fill this out. The other half, they had them sign a statement of honest intent after they reported the number of miles on their car or cars 
because make sure you remember a lot of people well like caleb how many cars does your family does your family have insured have with the same insurance company we have two okay and i've got three Mm-hmm. So, so, so in the study, they had people. It, apparently, there was just people with one, two, three, or four cars. And obviously, as the, there was, there were fewer with four than there were with three. And then I can't remember. I think there might have been about the same number of people who had one and two cars. Maybe a little bit less. Maybe a little fewer people with just with two cars than with one car. But regardless, they had baseline data where they weren't asked to do to sign any sort of anything. Yep. So. They had the baseline data for all of their uh, policyholders. And when they had what they found, what Dan Ariely cohorts found was that the, the group of people who had to sign the statement of honest intent before reporting their mileage, that those people on average reported 2,400 more miles than the people who signed the statement of honest intent after providing their mileage. So since more mileage dings you and less mileage is in your favor, the assumption is that by signing the le- the statement of honest intent before providing the data and those people gave data that was not in their favor, that those people were being more honest than the people who signed the statement after providing their mileage. Does that make sense, Caleb? It does. So in other words, as you pointed out, more mileage probably a higher car insurance premium, right? Mm-hmm. But if you ask mm-hmm. someone to say, if you, if, you, if you have them sign something that says, I attest that the information provided is accurate to the best of my knowledge and under the penalty of perjury against an insurance company <laughs> right. or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that meant that people who signed it before they answered the question, it suggests that they reported in a higher but more truthful and accurate number of miles. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If it was going to hurt signed you, after, you, were, if they signed, you were telling the truth. Yeah. And just correct, just keep me honest, but like, since that's a theme here, <laughs> did they also have people, did they, did it, did part of a, did they have another group that signed after they provided the mileage also? Yes. Yeah. They did. So they had, so yeah. So those were, there was only two groups of people, people who signed before and people who signed after. They didn't yep. have, as far as I know, there wasn't a control group that didn't sign anything. I thought like, you, likely saying, there was. But what did you say? You said there was just a baseline. There was just a baseline of insurance customers. That said, oh, these people don't sign anything. And this is what they report. No, 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 no. Good, glad you asked that. So, so to clarify, no, they had the they had the baseline mileage from the prior year for all I these see. same people. So every year they have to report their mileage. So they had what they had kind of the starting mileage. So they were basically like, what does your odometer say right now? Here's what it said last year. What does it say right now? Yeah. So that's where, and, and the prior year for the baseline mileage, they didn't have them sign any kind of, uh, anything because that was, that was not a year that they were doing this experiment for. Got it. All right. So the authors of the 2012 paper published a follow-up paper in 2020 titled Signing at the Beginning Versus at the End Does Not Decrease Dishonesty. And this was also- Wait, so, in- they, so they said, so in this, this next paper, they said the opposite of what they said at the beginning in the 2012 one. Correct. And it, it was also, okay. it was in the same journal 
the Proceedings of the National Academy okay. of Sciences. Um, so I don't know if it amounts to retracting their work, but it certainly contradicts their prior findings, right? Because they didn't, re- did they end up retracting yeah. the paper, the original paper at they, that point? Not, not at this point, not when they, not when they published the follow-up paper. And I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's part of the scientific process is you go, hey, we did these experiments back in 2012 and they showed us this data. And yep. now in 2020, we're doing similar experiments and, and in some cases the same experiments and we're getting different data from this. So I think, I think you're not necessarily, you don't have to retract the old experiments. You just say, oh, we had different findings this time. It kind time. of expands your findings, right? Like it kind of, yeah, right. It, it, it isn't, it isn't, I mean, you, you have contradictory findings. So you report that you have contradictory findings, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an academic, I'm not an academic that I don't do this for a living. So, but I mean, that's, that's my general understanding of it. Right. So maybe, yeah. Layman's so, so I think, so yeah. So maybe saying it retract, I mean, I think, I think for us, we would think of it as a retraction of their original findings, but it's more like saying, Hey, before we said that this did impact it, now we're finding that it doesn't so much. So uh, we don't, so I guess we really don't know necessarily. It's, it's it, uh, results are inconclusive. I think right. that's maybe what they're right. more than a retraction of the prior work. Like you said, it's adding to it. And it's kind of giving some nuance to it and saying, Hey, we, we were pretty clear it did this one thing before. And now we're seeing that it's the opposite. So, uh, we're still not totally sure. Right. So in the 2020 study, they also released a significant portion of the raw data that they used in 2012. And so because this raw data was made available, some other uh, academics, some very bored, but very, uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what's the word I'm Engaged? looking for? Engaged? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, very, maybe. Uh, uh, very power hungry, very. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, enterprising, enterprising. Maybe? There you go. Know. Good enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah. Some, some other academics who are obviously really into data, you know, they're data dorks, <laughs> data geeks. Right. Yeah. They, there's a, yep. they run a blog called data Colada, and they dug into these, the raw data that was provided for the two twenty uh, 2012 study, uh, specifically the data from an experiment that was conducted by Dan Ariely and his co-authors. And they concluded that there was very strong evidence that the data was fabricated so greg your ethics research hero was caught being unethical right marking the second time that he disappointed me uh yeah because the first time he was just a dick to you and the second time it's yeah. because he was a he was a goddamn hypocrite that's right uh, and we we've, uh, we've talked about before that uh, there's very little uh, patience for hypocrisy. Uh, and what what makes it even worse, though, is that, you know, even after he was a dick to me, I still, like, really respected him sure. and his research. So so the fact that the fact that he he disappointed me twice, the but I didn't lose respect for him. That also means that the universe, like, cheated me out of like a really good uh, a role in Schadenfreude, like right. I, I don't get I don't get to enjoy, that. right? Oh, because just... because if you had been real mad and like said, 
oh, I don't like that guy anymore. And then like, right. and then the, the, then you would have learned about this and you'd be like, yes. But instead, right, you're kind of like, fucker. you're like, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doubly, double, this is double disappointment, Dan. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. And, you know, there's a whole lot more that we need, need to unpack in this case of the unethical ethicist. Uh, not the least of which is the fact that even though it looks like that Dan Ariely did it, he may not have done it, Greg. And that's right. And we don't have enough time in a single episode to get into all of that side of this case. Right. So this is a first for Oh My Fraud. We're going to have our very first two-part episode. That's right. And next time we will look into exactly what problems Data Colada found and what all the, those problems mean. We'll also take a look at Ariely's public responses to the scandal because he said some things about it. He did. And they were very interesting. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to unpack even with that. So that's it for this episode, guys. And uh, remember, when you meet your heroes, be a dick to them before they have a chance to be a dick to you. <laughs> That's great advice. And also remember that if you force an atheist to swear in a Bible, he can't tell a lie until you say his name three times. It's just science. If you want to drop us a line, send an email to ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com and we will get it. And Caleb, where can people find you out there in the uh, ether? On Twitter at CNewquist and LinkedIn backslash 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 Caleb Newquist. <laughs> Three backslashes and then Caleb New No one's going <laughs> to find you. That's right. Three backslashes. <laughs> Greg, uh, how do people get a hold of you on the internet? Uh, also on Twitter at Greg Kite and also LinkedIn. Uh, it's LinkedIn backslash Greg Kite. Oh, My Fraud is written by Greg Kite and myself. Our producer is Zach Frank. If you like the show, leave us a review or share it with a friend. It helps people find the podcast. Uh, also, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for the accountants out there, if you listen to the podcast on Earmark, you can earn free CPE. Totally ethical. Totally Absolutely. ethical. Join us next time for more avarice, swindlers, and scams from stories that will make you say, Oh my... Fraud. Oh my fraud!